listening to Matt Loves Cameras. In the palm of my hand, I have one of the smallest 35mm cameras ever made. And it's not the Rolly 35. It's not an Olympus XA or an Olympus Stylus Epic. It's not even a Minox, though it was made in the same factory as a Minox. Do you know which camera I'm talking about? (laughs) If you don't, keep listening and find out. I'm Matt Murray, and this is Matt Loves Cameras. friends. Greetings to you wherever you are all around the world. It's time for episode 10 of Matt Loves Cameras and hopefully over the weekend we've got another long weekend uh, here in Queensland. Monday is Labor Day uh, which celebrates the eight hour working day on the first Monday in May. Uh, So we've got another public holiday and hopefully episode 11 will appear over the weekend. Who knows? Just a quick recap. I'm Matt Murray. I'm a photographer and camera enthusiast from sunny Brisbane in Australia. This podcast is all about analogue photography. In many episodes of the podcast, I review a different film or instant camera, telling you about its history, its features, what it's like to use, and what kind of photos you can expect from it. So, today's episode is all about a little plastic fantastic. It's the Voigtlander Vito C, one of the smallest 35mm cameras ever made. You can see the show notes for every episode uh, of the podcast on my website, mattlovescameras.com, and you can also see some of the photos on my Instagram, which is at mattlovescameras. So let's kick off the show by talking about a German camera maker called Balder. They are the company that made this beautiful little camera in my hand right now, the Plastic Fantastic Voigtlander Vito C. Yes, it's a Voigtlander, but it was made by a German company called Balder. So Balder also made the Minox cameras, which is why if I I sort of showed you this in the street and I covered up the word Voigtlander and I said to you, what kind of camera is this? You'd probably think it was a Minox. But it's not a Minox, it's a Voigtlander. Uh, so Bowler actually made various versions of cameras in the 1970s that all looked very similar. So of course they made Minox 35 cameras for Minox. They made some very similar cameras under their own name, which went by the name the Baldo, Balder, sorry, C35. And they made a, and a camera identical to that called the Voigtlander Vito C. So who are Balder? Well, Balder were a German camera maker founded by Max Balderweg in 1908 near Dresden. They made shutters, film pack holders and self-timers. And in the lead up to World War II, they made a line of medium-priced folders, such as the Baldina and the Jubilette. 
Now, Baldo were quite unique at the time in that they sold Camrys to other companies to resell and market under their own name. So I guess if he's talking about a modern equivalent, it might be something like um, the way that Fujifilm uh, had their class camera sold in Europe as the Rolly AFM 35. Exactly the same camera as the original class, but it was rebadged and sold under a different brand name. So I guess you could also call that uh, an, uh, them, they were an OEM manufacturer, an original equipment manufacturer that then uh, different names got applied to their cameras and sold on. Uh, so quite often with Balder cameras or cameras made by the Balder factory, you'll find some very sort of um, entry-level lenses in them, in the folding cameras, and you'll also find some very expensive lenses in them. So there really was a, a wide variety of, of lenses in Balder-made cameras throughout the 20th century. Now, during the war, the factory was used to manufacture arms and it was extensively damaged. After World War II, Germany, of course, was divided into different areas under control by the Allies. And soon after the 1946 elections in what was to become East Germany, of course, uh, Dresden is uh, in the eastern part of Germany, Balder was actually nationalised by the government that won the elections in the eastern part of uh, Russian uh, sort of controlled East Germany. Its founder, Max Balderweg, fled to the western part of Germany where he started Balder Kamerawerk. And this company produced a series of 35mm and medium format roll film cameras. Uh, Quite often, again, they were sold under different names. Fast forward to the 1970s, and that is when, of course, the camera market was becoming more and more dominated by the Japanese companies. And this is when this beautiful little camera in my hand would have been developed. Uh, The Minox uh, sort of 35 cameras were developed in the late 70s. I believe this model here, the Voigtlander Vito C, also known as the Balder C35, I believe it was made around 1980. So what are the differences between the Minox 35 cameras and these two other cameras made by Balder, the Balder C35 and the Voigtlander Vito C? Well, the shells of the cameras are actually pretty similar. At first sight, a lot of people would probably think that these cameras are Minoxes. Uh, However, there's probably a few key differences. So the first one is that Minox cameras have aperture priority and they also have exposure compensation. So the Balder C35 or the Voigtlander Vito C, the camera I've got here, does not have either of those options. So with the Minox camera around the lens, you could change the aperture, I think from f2.8 upwards. Um, But yeah, the Voigtlander Vito C, you can't change the aperture. It's all done automatically. The Minox camera is also featured uh, exposure compensation, which was a little button or lever right near the shutter button on top of the camera but this feature was left out of the Balder C35 and the Voigtlander Vito C. Another key difference is the batteries. This is one uh, where the the house brand cameras have the advantage. So the Voigtlander Vito C and the Balder C35, they take two 
LR44 button batteries, which I'm, I'm sure many of you will know are pretty sort of common batteries for cameras, where the Minoxes take, uh, historically they take a Mercury battery. However, there are sort of replacement batteries these days for that. So this camera, the, v- the Voigtlander V2C, uh, as well as the Balder C35, is completely automatic. You cannot change the aperture like you can on a Minox. The only thing you can do really is change the ISO, which of course you can do on a Minox as well. So it looks like a Minox, not quite the same as a Minox. You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. So let's talk about the specs of the Voigtlander Vito C camera. So from here on in, I am talking about this lovely little camera in my hand, the Balder-made Voigtlander Vito C, also sold under the Balder name, the Balder C35. Uh, it looks like a Minox, but isn't quite a Minox. So it's a compact viewfinder camera made around 1980. It takes 35mm film, so it is indeed one of the smallest 35mm film cameras ever made. The weight of the camera is only 170 grams with film and the two LR44 batteries. So for my friends in America, that is around 6 ounces. That's how much this camera weighs, 6 ounces. It's absolutely light as a feather. So in terms of size... Uh, It's just over 10 centimetres long, which is 4 inches. It's uh, 6.3 centimetres across, which is, what, 3, maybe 3 inches across? Uh, No, not quite 3 inches, 2.5 inches across. And it's just about, uh, just over 1 inch thick, or 32 millimetres. So it is a very, very compact camera. It's very similar in size and weight to, say, the Olympus Mu2, the Stylus Epic, uh, and also probably the Olympus XA as well. This camera is very rectangular, and it doesn't have all the angles uh, of the the, uh, the Mu2 Stylus Epic, of course. Now, the camera features automatic exposure. So there's a meter in the camera, and it controls the aperture and shutter speed for you. So as a photographer, really all you need to do is wind the film on. You need to guess the distance and twist the barrel to the appropriate distance on the lens and press the shutter. And then just repeat all that process. So let's have a look at the camera. I've got it here in front of me. So the first thing you need to do uh, to be able to take a photo is you need to push the front cover down. I'm gonna do that now and the lens barrel slides out as you lower the front cover. So this design uh, really sort of pays homage uh, to the folders that the Balder company made throughout the 20th century, this beautiful kind of folding lens coming out kind of design, it's lovely. So when the lens cover is down, you can see the beautiful lens. And the lens that I have on my camera is the Voigtlander Coloscopar f2.8 38 millimeter lens um so it's a lovely little fast lens on this very compact camera 
Now, there were different versions of these cameras made. So there was actually another version of the Voigtlander made uh, with a, what was it called? I've got it written down here. It was called a Voitar F5.6 lens. But luckily, I've got the Color Scopar F2.8 lens. And with the Balder made versions of the camera, there was a uh, Baldenon lens, an f2.8 lens on one version. And there was also a different version, the Baldenar, which had the f5.6 lens. So there seems to be two different lens configurations in both the Balder version of the camera and the Voigtlander Vito C version of the camera. So this, of course, is a manual focus camera. You have to set the distance scale of your subject and around the barrel of the lens, there is the distance scale there. So you, you sort of twist that to the left or the right. So very handily, uh, the distances are marked in both feet and meters and they go from three feet or 90 centimeters all the way up uh, sort of through, you know, one meter, 1.2 meters, two meters, three meters, six meters, all the way to infinity. Um, so that's pretty cool. You just have to sort of guess the subjects, uh, guess how far your subject is away and turn the lens barrel to the appropriate place on that distance marker there. So it's, it's a pretty easy to use camera. Also around the lens, you have the ISO selector switch. Although as this camera is uh, a little bit older, it's called the ASA switch. Um, so it's actually really impressive, the, the ISO values for this camera. Uh, they start at 25 and they go all the way up to 800, which is which was quite high uh, for a camera from 1980. Really interesting, the ISO selecting uh, little switches, they go up in third stops. Um, so from 25, it goes up to 32, 40, 50, 64, 80, 100, and I won't continue the sequence, but you know, you get some really weird ISO values in that uh, third stop range, like 500. Uh, so there you go. It's, um, a pretty, pretty comprehensive, uh, range of ISO, uh, numbers for you to select from when you, you put your film in. Above the lens, there are two small, tiny little lenses, which are actually the camera's light meter. So they will determine the shutter speed and aperture when you take a photo. So looking at the back of the camera, the first thing you see is there is a wonderful made in Germany white lettering at the bottom of the camera. Uh, interesting that it says made in Germany and not West Germany. Uh, I find that quite interesting. Uh, of course, in 1980, there were two Germanys. So it, it is very interesting that it says only made in Germany. Uh, maybe that's because uh, old Max, he was from East Germany and he, you know, maybe in his mind there was only one Germany. Uh, I have no idea. I'm just making that up. out the show notes at mattlovescameras.com if you're on instagram come say hi at mattlovescameras or if you fancy getting in touch drop us a line at mattlovescameras at gmail.com So the viewfinder for this camera is lovely and bright it's a beautiful little optical finder with a frame now, as you change the focusing distance by twisting the barrel of the lens, when you're looking through the viewfinder, there's actually four symbols at the bottom of the frame. Uh, 
And these are, are like distance symbols to remind you where you've set uh, the focus for the camera. So uh, there's a one person symbol, which uh, means that you've, uh, that's actually the one meter mark. There's also a two people symbol, which is one and a half meters away. There's a three people symbol, which is three meters. And there's a mountain on the far left, which of course is infinity. So as you're looking through the lovely bright viewfinder, on just on the right hand side of the, the camera on the top, there is the film advance lever, which has a lovely sound to it. Listen to this. Beautiful. And then when you're looking through the viewfinder, you twist that lens barrel, you'll see the little red indicator go up and down the row of symbols there, depending on where you'd like focus for your image. And then when you half press the shutter, a little LED displays through the viewfinder with one of two symbols. So the first one says OK, just OK, <laughs> meaning that the intended shutter speed for the camera is above 1 30th of a second, so there shouldn't be camera shake. If there's like a lightning bolt or a lightning symbol, uh, it means that the shutter speed is going to be slower than 1 30th of a second. So you either probably need to use a tripod and there is a tripod um, socket on the bottom of the camera, on the base of the camera, or you need to use the dedicated flash unit for the camera, which is the Voigtlander VCS-18, which snaps on the left-hand side of the camera very much the same way that the uh, Ollie XA have uh, flashes that go on the left-hand side of their camera. I don't actually have the flash for this camera. I wish I did, even though I wouldn't use it very often. Um, it would be lovely to have the flash as well, but I don't have it. So then when you press the shutter after you see, you see one of those two symbols, either the OK symbol or the lightning symbol. And here is the beautiful little shutter click. I'll do that again. I'll wind it on and do it one more time for you. Lovely. It was actually quite a fast shutter speed. I was aiming it towards the bright uh, computer screen. Uh, so that's probably why it sounded so quick. The shutter speeds range from 1 500th of a second uh, to 1 second in theory. However, I have actually tested it and it does seem to go, uh, the shutter does seem to open for several seconds uh, in really dark conditions. So I might try and do some night exposures with it sometime and see how they turn out. It has an electronically controlled program type leaf shutter. Uh, the maximum aperture is f2.8 and the lens stops down to f16. Um, just talking about that shutter button again, it's a lovely bright orange color, which is lovely. Uh, it's not that bright, but it's a kind of like that late 70s, early 80s orange color that we used to see a lot. There's also uh, a frame counter near the film advance showing you which um, frame you're on, which is pretty cool. And something which I didn't notice for a long time, right next to the shutter, there's a little window with an arrow in. And this is actually an indicator on whether or not the shutter is cocked or not. Of course, you might forget that you've, you've done the film advance lever and you might not know whether you need to um, do it again. Uh, it's pretty easy to work out if you don't, um, but there's a little arrow right next to the shutter. So if the arrow is pointing in the direction of where you're taking the photo, you're ready to take one. 
and as soon as you press that shutter, the arrow sort of points back towards you. So that's a pretty cool little feature. Um, I quite like that. On the top left, you have the film rewind crank, uh, which you sort of pull upwards to open the back of the camera. When you open the camera, my camera is lovely and clean inside. Um, it doesn't have any light seals, which is kind of weird. And it doesn't have any sort of film pressure plate either by the look of it. Uh, it's very kind of basic plastic camera, um, but it, it kind of feels kind of cheaply made yet uh, solid. Uh, it's a kind of a weird thing. It, it, it is kind of a, a nice bit of German engineering really. Um, so what else can I tell you about this camera? Uh, when you rewind the film at the end of a roll, it does feel like almost like you're going to break the rewind crank, but I never have. It, it sort of seems to keep on going, which is great. Uh, I spoke about the tripod socket on the bottom of the camera. Uh, looking at the bottom of the camera, that's also where the batteries go, of course. Uh, and I think that's pretty much um, everything I want to speak about in terms of uh, description of the camera. to Matt Loves Cameras. Yay! So what's it like shooting with this camera? Well, it is a lot of fun to use. I mean, of course, you're never quite sure of the shutter speed or the aperture, other than that indicator in the viewfinder saying either OK or the lightning, which would mean that it's either above 1 30th or below 1 30th of a second. Um, but, you know, you can probably judge that for yourself when you're shooting. You, you kind of know the light. You know if it's going to be a, a slow shutter speed or not. Um, but it, it is a really fun little camera to use. All you need to do is set your distance uh, of your subject when you're shooting, uh, wind it on and press the shutter button. Like all tiny cameras, it's very inconspicuous. No one really takes any notice of the camera. Uh, is it the ultimate pocket camera? Well, you know what? Maybe it is. Uh, it's not a perfect camera. Uh, there's no aperture selection like the Minox cameras. But Minox cameras don't really have a great reputation these days for their reliability. Maybe it's because it is, you know, almost 40 years down the track since they've been made and, and the parts, the components are wearing out. Um, but this camera, I think it's pretty much cl uh, close to being perfect uh, for a lovely little camera that fits in the palm of your hand. The only other contenders I can think of in 35 frame terms, of course, would be the Mewtwo, Olympus Mewtwo Stylus Epic and the Olympus XA or XA2, XA3. So it is a really fun camera to use. I've loved shooting with it. So before I talk about the images, I'll tell you how I got this wonderful little camera, the Voigtlander V2C. Around 2011, 2012, there's a group of us uh, high school friends who used to meet up in the city for lunch. And uh, one of the ladies who used to come along, a high school friend called Matha, she said to me, uh, I've got some cameras for you. And I said, oh, cool. And she said, yeah, yeah, I'll, um, I'll bring them next time we meet up. Uh, and one of them's a Voigtlander. So when the word Voigtlander, uh, I heard that, I sort of imagined some great hunking lump of Germanic metal, you know, a very solid Germanic camera. 
And then the next time we met up, um, she placed this tiny little plastic camera in my hand and I was kind of surprised, intrigued and delighted all in one. What was this camera? It was the Voigtlander Vito C. So that's how I came to have this camera. It was a it was a gift from my old high school friend, Maytha, and she uh, gave it to me at a lunch one day. Uh, and it was actually around the time when I was scarred um, by an, an evil Russian half-frame camera called a Chaika. Uh, it looked like it worked. The seller said it worked. I put three rolls of 36 exposure film through that bad boy. Uh, and of course, half-frame film, that's 72 images per roll that I carefully thought out and composed every single time there was nothing on the film. So there was something wrong with the camera, even though it looked like it worked fine. You know, the shutter worked, the aperture blades went in and out. Uh, I don't know what was wrong with it other than no images were ever recorded on film. And it kind of made me give up film photography. So this wonderful little Vito C actually sat in my office for a few years and I didn't do anything with it. And um, a few years later, this is uh, fast forward to May 2017, I was going down to Sydney for a conference and I got flown down to Sydney and um, I took some cameras with me, as you do. So most of the cameras I took were my Fujifilm X-Series cameras, but I also took the Vito C. And I looked in my film supplies and I had some expired 2011 Lomography Color Slide film. So I put that in the camera and uh, when I was around Sydney Harbour, I just shot off, you know, seven or eight frames and it sat in my camera for another year and then I found it again. Uh, Around the time when I was interested in doing this podcast, so this is about a year ago when I first thought about it, And I thought, um, well, I better get this film developed. I don't even know if this camera works. So I kind of wasted uh, the rest of the shots, just really crap, stupid shots of like traffic and my wife's new car and and just rubbish, crappy shots. Because I was kind of thinking, you know, is this another Chaika? Am I just going to waste my time? But I got the images back. It was actually the first roll of frame that I got developed in my current sort of 35mm film revival, uh, which started probably, you know, 12 to 18 months ago. And I kind of looked at the images and I was a bit like, uh, you know, they're not very sharp or amazing. Um, but of course, when you're used to looking at digital files and then you look at film, uh, you know, unless you're shooting with a very high-end film camera, you know, a lot of the film images just don't look very sharp. And it's not that they're bad shots, but, you know, in comparison, you sort of make this forced comparison and, um, you know, you get a bit like, oh, they're, they're not very sharp. I'm not sure they're that good. But you know what? I, I scanned these images and I put them on my hard drive and I kept shooting with the camera. And recently, when I come back to some of these images, they look absolutely beautiful. Those seven or eight frames I took on Sydney Harbour, I absolutely love. So I will be talking about them. Well, why don't we talk about them right now? So I've actually put four rolls of film through this camera uh, over the last two years. And you know what? I've carried it around with me so many times. I actually feel like uh, I've put like five or six or seven or eight rolls of film through. Um, But I went through all my archives of negatives and scans and I've only shot four rolls of film through it so uh it's it's kind of a camera that comes with me a lot of places you go to work go on trips uh and i've shot with it 
two rolls of Lomography X-Pro Slide Color 200 film. The first one of which, um, so it's E6 film in theory. The first one, though, those ones of Sydney Harbour, I got developed in C41 chemicals by the lab. So it was cross-processed, which is Lomography, say that's what the film is for. The next roll I did was a roll of expired Fujifilm Superior 400. I think I might have got that when I ordered some stuff from the uh, Film Photography Project. Actually, I'm not even sure it was expired. I can't even remember now. But it was Superior 400 film um, of, of unknown origin, shall we say. The next role I did was a role that was very kindly given to me by a listener of the show, Alan at the Film Sweats on Instagram. Great guy. He's got a beautiful Leica camera and he takes some beautiful black and white images. So check out his Instagram at the Film Sweats. He sent me some lovely black and white film hand rolled by himself. And one of them was, well, two of them actually, were FP4. So for another trip to Sydney this year, uh, I actually put FP4 in the Voigtlander VDOC. And the last roller film I put in there was for uh, expired film day. And it was expired, uh, again, it was the same expired X-Pro Lomography Color Slide 200 film. But this time I actually had it processed in E6 chemicals. And I don't actually know why I did that. But anyway, let's get into the images. Let me just load them up. Okay, so the first image is an image of Sydney Harbour. I I love this image. Um, I don't know why I was so unimpressed with these images before, because I'm looking at them now and there's a little bit of magic to them. They're not the sharpest images in the world, but they've kind of got this kind of artistic painterly kind of feel to it. I can't... Can you hear that? That is Marshall Dalmatian acting very very badly, behaving very badly. Hang on for a sec. Marshall! I might actually have to uh, restart this part of the podcast in a second. I'll be right back. So there you have it, uh, Marshall's, I think that's Marshall's first appearance on the podcast. And uh, there was a, a question from Rachel from the Sunny 16 uh, when I appeared on Negative Positives. Is Marshall a good boy? Well, you know, he's he's mainly a good boy, mostly a good boy. Uh, occasionally he can be uh, very growly and grumpy in the evening. It's the evening at the time, at the moment. Uh, and uh, there's some other dogs walking around the block and He's saying, hey, this is my patch, bugger off. Um, So anyway, let me start again. So these beautiful images of Sydney Harbour, I absolutely love these images. I really, really wish that I had finished this role in Sydney instead of wasting it on my wife's new car and on traffic in Brisbane. Um, But they're really beautiful images, I think. Um, There's some really weird stuff going on with the film. So the first one is of Sydney Harbour Bridge, with Sydney Opera House underneath. There's some really cool kind of blue pinky tones to the image. You'll sort of see in the sky, there's kind of, uh, in the next few images, there's kind of weird motley kind of looking stuff on the frame everywhere. And now there's nothing wrong with the negatives. I've checked them. It's just, I think it was just a film. It had been expired for, uh, you know, six, seven, eight years by the time I used it. And um, it's just really kind of weird effect of the film. 
Uh, so the first one is the Sydney Harbour Bridge. The second one is some really beautiful light that I captured at the Opera House. Uh, it's really I love walking around uh, Sydney Opera House. Uh, the, next, the third one, again, is a really beautiful image, I think, of the Sydney Opera House. And it actually has these really sort of pinky tones. I haven't, uh, you know, changed any of this in Photoshop or anything. This is the, the colours that come off the scans. Um, so they're pretty, pretty cool kind of uh, images. The fourth one with this uh, expired Lomography colour slide film cross-processed in C41 chemicals is of a ferry terminal near Luna Park. I can't actually remember. It's actually got to really annoy me. Um, it's not the one right next to Luna Park in Sydney. It's actually the next one down. Is it Milson's Point or something like that? I'm sorry, guys. I'm going to have to... It's at McMahon's Point, maybe. I've got to, I've got to look this up. Oh man, how how unprofessional of me! Yeah, it's McMahon's Point. So um, Milson's Point is the ferry terminal uh, right next to Luna Park, which is kind of under the Sydney Harbour Bridge on the north side. And the next ferry stop along is McMahon's Point. So this is a, an image of McMahon's Point, uh, and I was actually taking images with my Fujifilm X series cameras of the Harbour Bridge and the Opera House. And while I was doing that, I, I took this picture. And this one, look, I focused this to infinity. Uh, it doesn't look sharp in any way, shape or form. I don't know what's going on with it, but it, it kind of looks like this kind of painting. It looks doesn't look real. It looks weird. Um, but I, I really do like it. And the last two here, there's a typical sort of harbour view uh, of Sydney with the Opera House. And it, it looks so aged and old. It could be out of... It, well, except for some of the high-rise buildings, it could be out of like the 60s or 70s. It, it looks that old. It's just a very aged look to the film. And the final image here from this role was a bit of frame burn. Um, so that's something to say about this camera that, you know, if you do like doing frame burn, if you do like your first of the role um, images, that's a, an Instagram account, first of the, uh, first of the role, uh, where you get the frame burn down images. Um, this is a great camera for frame burn. Every single time I do a first image, I get this kind of effect, which is pretty cool. So on the same kind of um, uh, subject here, frame burn, this is the next roll. This is the Superior 400 I'm talking about next. And there's a sign uh, outside a cafe called Espresso Engine in Brisbane. Uh, and it's just a neon sign of espresso. And the frame burn actually kind of played ball. And the frame burn is right near the E for the espresso. Uh, and I was hoping that would it sort of, it would go, you know, on the left-hand side of the frame, not right in the middle. That would have been awkward. Um, but yeah, you can see the words espresso there, which is pretty cool. Continuing along the cafe theme, uh, the next one is outside a cafe I go to quite regularly. It's called John Mills himself. It's an old printer, a printer's building in Charlotte Street in Brisbane. And you go down under the building and you come to this beautiful little cafe, which uh, is called John Mills himself in in, uh, in homage to the old printer. And um, at the back, you sort of come out the back in this little alleyway and you look up and there's these buildings and I took an image there, which I really, really love. It's just an old building there with a couple of uh, more modern buildings. Uh, but I do really like that. So on the next frame, taken with the Superior 400, you will see the light leak. Um, so there's a light leak on this camera. It's on the bottom right-hand side of the frame as you shoot uh, in landscape orientation. Now, curiously, I'll tell you something else now. 
Recently on 35MMC, there was an article by, I think it was Nigel... Let's look up this gentleman's name. Don't want to get it wrong. Nigel Haycock on 35MMC. And I was actually surprised and delighted as someone else out there with one of these cameras. And uh, Nigel wrote a little review for 35MMC uh, talking about the Voigtlander V2C, uh, which was really, really cool. I loved it. And he actually talks about a light leak with the camera. And he's cropped a couple of the images um, to get rid of the light leak. But then on a couple of the images he's got, in this article on 35MMC about exactly the same camera, I can see where the light leak is and it's in exactly the same place as my light leak, which is kind of intriguing. Uh, So also on the show notes at mattlovescameras.com, I'll put a link up to Nigel's article on 35MMC so you can see that. The light leak is very noticeable in some frames, not very noticeable in others. In this one in Cleveland Lighthouse, it's super noticeable in the bottom right-hand um, bo- uh, corner of the frame. Also on this Roller Superior, there was some kind of line. I don't know what it is, like a scratch line or something, but there's a line going down the center of the frames. Uh, I don't know what that is. Um, I don't know if it was something in the development. I've really no idea. And I didn't Photoshop it out. I thought I'd let you guys see it. I'm pretty sure that Superior 400 was expired, um, maybe I didn't get it from the film photography project. Maybe I, I don't know, I bought it or in a bulk lot or something. I can't remember. Um, but the next image is my daughter in a pool. I think that's our next door neighbor's pool. And again, you can see the light leak in the bottom right. And the last image for this roller film is one I really like. Uh, it's my wife in a field. You may recognize the dress, the pose, the face from previous episodes of Matt Loves Cameras. And the kind of look she has on her face is, hurry up, you've already taken 10 photos of me with five different cameras. Uh, that's the kind of look she has on her face. But I, I put this image in, not because she wants me to, uh, but because it actually shows the kind of nice bokeh, bokeh, whatever you want to say, uh, it's got a lovely little out-of-focus areas around her. This was probably shot, uh, well, it was shot late in the day, near dusk, and it was probably shot, I don't know, f2.8, f4. I've no idea because the camera is all automatic, but I think that's a good example in low light of the camera, um, you know, shooting wide open or close to wide open. And it does have a a lovely look. Uh, And that image is quite sharp. Um, And I really, really quite like that. Moving on to the next roll of film. We're back with the color Lomography slide film. But this time, for some unknown reason, I got them developed in E6 Chemicals. And they kind of look look a bit blue. Uh, they look a bit faded as well. Um, the colors are a bit washed out or something. I don't know. Um, I do like these ones, though. I don't like them as much as the cross-processed ones. So there's a lesson for me. But um, uh, I still do, I quite like them. So, yeah, I shot these for expired film day. There's a picture of Park Road Station in Brisbane, a train station. The next one is of my faithful, noisy companion, Marshall Dalmatian, in the back garden. The next one is just of some city streets uh, that was on expired film weekend, uh, and it was very rainy and gloomy. 
And the last one for this role is just some letter boxes I found in Newstead when I went down there for a meeting. Uh, that's the kind of thing I put it in my work bag and I carry it everywhere just in case I see something cool. And these letter boxes reminded me of the letter boxes we had when I was a kid. So the last four images again taken in Sydney. This time, this was in uh, March 2019. I had about 20 minutes down at the harbour and I uh, did a whole load of photos with my SX70 and my LT1 and my Voigtlander VDOC. So this one here is of a cruise ship. The first one, uh, I really like it. I think it's nice and sharp. You can see the light leak in the bottom right-hand corner. It's a bit wonky. There's no spirit level in this camera, uh, and I'm used to relying on that when I use digital cameras. So, um, yeah, it's a bit wonky, the cruise ship, but I, I, I quite like the image. The next one I love. So this is the Sydney Opera House in bright sunshine. Uh, it's nice and sharp. It's got some kind of... You sort of see the vignette going on, whether that was caused because it was, uh, you know, bright sunshine. I don't know, but I really love this one. And again, you can see the light leak in the bottom right-hand corner. As you can with the next one, it's a different view of the sails of the Sydney Opera House. I really like that one as well. And the last image I'm going to talk to you about is of some lovely seagulls uh, on Sydney Harbour with the Sydney Harbour Bridge in the background. And again, the, the seagulls are pretty sharp, I think. Um, so that's one thing I, I did have to work out. I'd, I'd have to be really accurate at measuring how far the camera was away from my subject. There were a couple of images I took of my daughter and I was, I sort of measured it. I was, I haven't included these in the show notes, by the way, but one image of my daughter, I was exactly one meter away from her. And then what I did was I actually crouched down and leant in to take a photo of her. And then I stopped myself after I took the image and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm actually only like 60 to 70 centimeters away. And of course, when the image came back, uh, it was out of focus because the minimum focus distance is 90 centimeters. So that's the only thing. If you are doing that very close um, photography, you do need to really make sure that your camera is, you know, the exact distance away from your subject. Otherwise, you might get blurry images. So how did the Voigtlander Vito C shape up against my completely made up and arbitrary ratings? It did pretty well. Usability and performance. This is how easy each camera is to use and how it handles. I really like using this camera. I think it's quite easy to work out and use. Um, in terms of performance, the only thing you have to do really is guess the distance between yourself and your subject. Uh, and then, you know, wind the film on, Put, change that distance focus selector and press the shutter button. Really easy to use. It can be a little bit fiddly uh, to rewind the film. Uh, and also sometimes um, it's trying to open the film door. Uh, sorry, I couldn't think of my words there. Uh, but overall, I think it's, it's pretty good. And I've given it 19 out of 25. Features. This is the range of features that the camera has and how well they work. Well, look, there's a lot of technology in this tiny little rectangular box. Um, so there's fully automatic uh, exposure. The camera automatically uh, meters the scene and selects the aperture and shutter speed. There is a, a warning of below one thirtieth of a second in the viewfinder. The viewfinder is lovely and bright. Um, what else? What else? Um, look, it, it's a very compact, really cool little camera. 
fits in the palm of your hand, take it anywhere, runs on two tiny little batteries. I guess the only thing really is, uh, compared to the Minox cameras, you can't change the aperture and there's no exposure compensation. So I'm going to give it 18 out of 25 for features. Images. This rating is about how happy I am with the final images from the camera. So it's not just a, a one on a quality alone, but how you know cool, interesting they are. I've given it 23 out of 25. I love the images from this camera. Some are quite sharp and really nice. Other ones are really kind of really weird and funky on that expired X-Pro Lomography film. Uh, but I really, really love the images out of this camera and I will definitely continue using this camera in the future. The only thing I don't really like about the camera, really, I guess, and this isn't a big thing, but it does have that light leak in the bottom right-hand corner. Maybe if I was a bit more savvy on, uh, you know, a bit more technical with cameras, I'd know how to fix that up, uh, but I don't. Uh, I might get in touch with Nigel Haycock, uh, who wrote that article for 35MMC, and see if he's got a fix for it. And fun, possibly the most important reason I love to take photos and collect cameras. How fun is this camera to use? It is a ton of fun. I love using this camera. It is so cool. So I'm going to give the camera, let me see, I'm going to give it 22 out of, 23, 23 out of 100, 23 out of 100. So that gives the Voigtlander Vito C a very respectable 83 out of 100. It's almost time to finish this episode of Matt Loves Cameras. Uh, I just want to thank you all again for all your support listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoy it. If you've got any feedback, please, please, please let me know. MattLovesCameras at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. You can also hit me up on Instagram at MattLovesCameras and slide into my DMs. <laughs> that means send me a private message. Um, I would love that. I'm really happy with the way the show is um, performing in terms of the amount of people listening. It's a weird kind of thing when you do something like this. Um, you, you know, you set off with a podcast thinking, oh, I'm going to get two billion listeners. But then you kind of think when you put it out there, oh, who the hell's going to listen to this? And um, it's been really comforting seeing the, the, the listener numbers slowly increase. And I hope they continue to do so. Uh, I've just had the first two episodes... I've gone over 200 downloads each. Uh, the first one to go over 200 was the Olympus LT1. And the second one was the Class versus Class S episode. Uh, so that was kind of telling me something. That was kind of telling me the most popular episodes of the show so far have involved 35mm cameras. So this is why I've kind of moved the Vito C up the order for you today. Uh, and next episode, episode 11, will also be about 35mm photography. Uh, it won't be uh, a camera review like this episode. Uh, it will be part two of my Indonesian adventure featuring the lovely Fujifilm Class S photos and the Olympus LT1 photos. Um, but there's some more camera reviews coming soon. So don't worry if you do like the camera reviews. The other thing I've been grappling with lately is what camera will I buy next? I have so many cameras, I don't need to buy any more. 
But the problem with having a Facebook feed and an Instagram feed that completely revolves around photography and cameras is that it's very easy to get gas gear acquisition syndrome. So I, I made a bit of money. I think I told you a couple episodes ago, I made some money um, flipping some uh, old movie film, Kodak movie film. And so I've got this money sitting there and I'm kind of thinking, what could I buy with it? Um, so it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's a fun problem to have, having money and not knowing what to do with it. Um, but I haven't, I haven't got a, a lot of money, uh, not, uh, you know, $10,000 or anything like that. And this is the problem is some of the cameras I'm looking at, you know, looking at the, the Plowbell Makina 67, they go for $3,000 and I don't have $3,000. Uh, and then I'm looking at other Mamiya sevens and they go for four grand, five grand. Um, so I, I really need to adjust my budget down by down to about 10% of those budgets, uh, <laughs> probably. Um, but I would love another medium format camera. So who knows, maybe a Mamiya 645. Um, I'm not sure. Um, I'm going to be thinking very carefully over the next few weeks. That's all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And as I said, please get in touch if you're enjoying the podcast, what you like, what you don't like. Do I talk too fast? Can you understand me? Uh, these are questions I always grapple with. Um, but thank you so much for your support. And I'll see you on the next episode. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Cassie NMZ. Check the show notes for the link.